www.bonditch.wordpress.com Bonditch by Ian Bird Third Gobbit Wallop! The house wasn't owned by your parents, didn't they tell you? Elliot looked across the desk at the three-piece suit sitting there. This woman had come to her house a couple of times, Elliot remembered, but had never made any kind of an impression, just business arriving after dark to consult with her parents. And now Elliot was having to go to her, and during daylight. Elliot felt exposed. Even though the flames had been put out before she had arrived, she could still feel the scorching on her skin from the car fire. Her nerve endings were closer to the surface now, and her senses were sharper. She could feel fires that had been extinguished, and hear threats that hadn't been uttered. I assume they had a mortgage. No, not a mortgage. The home was loaned to them on a peppercorn rent. It had always been that way. A wedding gift, they told me. What does that mean? It means that the rent they paid was just a symbolic sum. One pound... No, I know what a peppercorn is, Elliot said. I mean, what does that mean for what happens now? Ah. The solicitor's name was Jennifer Bewley. It was pronounced Bewley, not Beaulieu, so apparently tradition was another way of saying being incorrect consistently. She was severe, just the kind of woman her dad would have flirted with. Yes, D Elliot could imagine Dad deliberately getting his sums wrong around her, a naughty schoolboy throwing himself on her mercies and lapping up her chastisements. Elliot had hated that. People shouldn't pretend to be less than they were. It wasn't that kind of a world, not anymore. No, your parents held no assets other than the contents of the house. The house was supplied furnished, so furniture isn't included in their inventory of belongings, and neither are the major electrical appliances, the white goods. They haven't any savings, hadn't any savings, I should say, and they have been able to identify. They lived on a stipend provided by the organisation that provided the home. Stipend? You mean wage? Bewley removed her glasses and looked even more severe. Elliot experienced absolutely no desire whatsoever to flirt with her. Miss Rent, your parents were unemployed. They had been since their marriage. What are you talking about? They were paid a stipend, an allowance. Pocket money, a stipend, for some accounted services they provided the organisation over the years, attending events from time to time, that sort of thing. They were consultants? Not really. Mum had her own business, a shell company, provided by the same organisation about 18 years ago. It was a very comfortable life for them both, all told. Dad travelled all the time, Elliot said. He was inspecting, he was visiting, to, dis to discuss, to report on. Elliot tried to reach for the words. It settled on her like atomic fallout from a great height that she had never before really received a coherent explanation of her parents' careers. Sorry, darling, it's business. I'll be home in ten days. I can't speak for what they may or may not have told you, Miss Rent, said Miss Bewley, but I can assure you that this is the case. I have the summary account ready for your inspection when you are ready. She stared at the solicitor. What does all that mean? Elliot said. Miss Rent, it's just like I've been trying to tell you. Your parents had a very beneficial arrangement with a third-party organisation that funded their lifestyle for over 20 years. In that time, they had not accumulated any real assets in their own name and have left you no savings. She looked almost embarrassed, but that could have been boredom. She looked around her desk at the piles of paper there. They left a will. Elliot leaned in. Are you excited? Summer at last. You're not going to spend the whole holiday working, are you? You've got to take some time for yourself. Your dad and I are happy to float you till term starts again, if you want. We want you to have fun. There's still a whole year till you need to face that real world. No, my mistake. Sorry. No, no will. The solicitor folded her arms. I understand that this must be a strange time for you. Elliot wanted to punch her in the face. Your parents were very secretive about their dealings and arrangements, even with me. I often counselled them to prepare for the unexpected, to ensure that there were facilities and contingencies in the event of... in the event of, like I say, the unexpected. 
I think they considered enough of the unexpected had already happened to them. They didn't think there was any more that could come their way. Miss Bewley? Yes, Miss Rint? I have no money of my own. My parents have been providing for me. What, what do I do now? I have the contact details of the organisation that supported your parents. Would you like them? Miss Bewley smiled a smile to say that it was time for Elliot to leave her office and not come back until Elliot had some money of her own to pay for more talking. What does that mean? That's what I asked. And? Elliot sat across from Michael and Dove in the pub. Michael had bought the drinks. It appeared that Elliot had exactly £53 left in the entire world. She gave me the company's name and address. I called them. I spoke to a woman. I've got an appointment in London to see them the day after tomorrow. Right. Will you come with me, both of you? The boys both nodded and Dove squeezed Michael's hand. I don't know what's going to happen, Elliot said. Mum and Dad, they didn't have any insurance. They didn't set anything aside. I can't even afford to have them buried. They put all their faith in this company. This company I've never even heard of before. I'm the only thing they left behind. I feel, I feel like I'm being punished, you know? Don't be stupid, said Michael. What do you mean? asked Dove. Like I should have, should have seen this coming, but instead I was... Instead, I was wasting my promises. Dove shook his head. You can't believe that. You've done nothing wrong. You're 20 years old, for Christ's sake. You've been in full-time education since you were five. What could you have possibly done to bring this on yourself? How could you have changed anything? You had to trust your parents. You're in shock, that's all. You just haven't started to feel your grief yet. It'll come. It'll start to make sense. It will all start to make sense. Have faith. My parents had faith and it meant absolutely fuck nothing. It meant so little to them, they didn't even tell anyone what they had faith in. She put a small piece of cardboard down on the table between them. This is all I know now about their whole fucking philosophy and belief system. On the business card was a London address, a telephone number and a single word. Bone ditch. Don't talk about deserving this, you know, Michael said later when Dove had left to get more drinks. I can't help it, it's just how it feels right. No, 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 I mean it. You're going to make Dove think that there's something going on that he doesn't know about. You're going to make him suspicious. I don't give a fuck about that. I know you don't, Michael said, but I do. And this time next week, you might again as well. You're not superstitious. You don't believe in retribution or any of that shit. You're just flailing, okay? There's no need to flail anywhere near to anything that's going to make everything else difficult as well. I can't believe you're talking like this. Nothing's been believable since the crash, okay? We're all just trying to figure it all out. Fuck you. Elliot got up and left the pub. It was bright and calm outside, a lovely, peaceful summer evening. Her eyes were itching with early hay fever. Her cheeks were a little red from the sun she'd caught walking from train station to office and back again. Outside the pub, people were sitting in shirt sleeves and t-shirts, laughing about stuff that seemed important. Elliot Rent felt unutterably alone, amputated from an everyday world she'd used to enjoy ignoring on her way somewhere fabulous and unique but then that was life before the orphan age. She walked, not paying attention to much of anything, trying to lose herself in those crowds that didn't really exist this far off in the country. It was all idle school kids and quick drink after workers. It was dated trippers and religious pamphleteers. She, sh she stood facing the brick wall. Up it someone had spray painted a dense cloud of twisting invasive ivy, turning the wall into a green curtain, shielding some unthinkable garden. Staring at her from behind the curtain were dozens of eyeballs, curious and unblinking. Ivy. I-V. I-V-D. There seem to be more alien gateways in the world these days. Elliot could feel some of those gateways just inside her, just out of sight of everyone else. 
pathways beneath her skin, alleyways in her brain, branching forks where there had used to be consistency and persistence of vision. There was a version of her that had opened Christmas presents with her parents. There was a version of her that fucked Michael because she was bored. There was a version of her that believed that her annual salary would always be her age, so she'd better hurry up if she wanted to be earning 21k next year. And, of course, there was a version of her that wanted to burn it all down. She would be graduating next year. It meant absolutely nothing, all of a sudden. That once crucial objective was just a dead skein of shed skin she had stepped out of. Elliot Rent had felt like this before, left to her own devices, when she failed to believe in her own beliefs. This is what lurked behind her fashions and philosophies. It was cold and alien, and things looked out from it that she didn't understand and was afraid of. This was her device, an explosion held deep inside, beneath her meat, gestating. It was the opposite of ambition and planning, a million miles from hope and satisfaction. It was what her bones felt like. She was crying. She was alone. She missed her parents. She didn't want to see either of them ever again. The three of them were silent all the way to London. The last time they had gone, they had been laughing and joking and drunk. But now they were maudlin and dull. It seemed to Elliot that Dove was just being sensitive, not that he was brooding over anything Michael had said to him. Michael was holding his boyfriend's hand. Yep, they were being quiet because of her dead parents, not out of any internal conflicts they might be suffering. She sneered behind her face, wearing on the bone, and wished that she hadn't brought them. Bystanders, only ever good for standing by. They got to the city and walked up Charing Cross Road towards Tottenham Court Road. They were headed for a small office just off Oxford Street. She didn't really imagine offices on Oxford Street. To her, it should all be shops and distractions, not at all the business of business. She told the two of them to wait in a pub in Fitzrovia and walk down a tatty side street. Elliot had done her homework. Apparently, the painter Richard Dad had lived down this street. Dad had been a Victorian. He had painted fairies and night monsters, and one day he had murdered his own father. He had then spent the rest of his life in one asylum after another, painting all the while. This was what the world felt like to Elliot Rent. Everyday grey laid over a million horror stories. The main entrance to the building was bland plate glass. Beside it was an intercom system. Five floors, four nameplates, just one button with the nameplate missing. So she guessed that was the one. She pressed it. Hello there. Hi, my name's Elliot Rent. Is this Bone Ditch? I'm here to see Kataki Eleison. Come on up. The glass popped open. She pulled on the door. She went inside. Third floor, right in the middle of the building. The office was simple, a bit run down. The woman at the reception desk about her own age showed her a seat and fetched her a coffee. A series of people bustled by her, laughing and chatting and busy. Everyone was pretty casually dressed, most everyone no more than ten years older than her, and no one looked like they had spent the last twenty years being blackmailed by her dead parents. Elliot felt the need to undercut every observation with something pointed at the expense of what she was going through. You are alone in this world. You are stealing the love in your life from your friends while their backs are turned. You are going to make a deal with strangers to pay for your future until you can afford to run away from it all. And your family is dead. A woman in her mid-thirties walked over to her. She was tall Indian, long black hair rolling down around her face. She was wearing a very neat black suit over a Pixies t-shirt. She smiled broadly and reached out her hand. Hi, I'm Kataki Eleison. We spoke on the phone. Thanks for coming. The chair Elliot was sitting on was pitched too low. She staggered forward on her bum as she reached to shake the old woman's hand. She was immediately a child. My office is just down here. Come with me, please. Elliot was about eight inches shorter than Eleison. Some of that difference was accounted by the sneakers she was wearing and the heels that the older woman was wearing, but the rest of it was in genetic history and good nutrition at least ten years eating only what you killed. 
As she walked by, the other people in the office watched Eleazon out of the corners of their eyes. But it wasn't a predator thing, and it wasn't fear. It unnerved Elliot more than fear. Eleazon's office was small, divided between a desk and a tiny round table with three chairs set about it. She ushered Elliot into one of the chairs and then sat opposite her. Around the office were photographs of crowds from places that she didn't recognise. I was so sorry to hear about your parents' deaths, she said. Thank you. I'm sure you know by now that we had a close relationship with your mum and dad. Elliot swallowed. I don't really know what your relationship with them was. We paid them a substantial sum of money every six months ever since you were born. Why? Because they were the terms of the deal that your mother made with our founder. Those terms were private and I cannot discuss them with you. But I am authorised to make a deal with you here today. What kind of deal? Elliot asked. We are willing to pay you £50,000 every six months for the rest of your life. If ever you have children, we will increase that to £75,000 every six months. We will also allow you, of course, to keep living in the house that you grew up in. Unless you prefer to live someplace else, in which case we'll work with you to find a home that you like, and we'll fund that one instead. Why would you do that? You're important to us. Your family is important to us. I don't have any family. We don't see it that way, said Kataki Eleazon. What's this about, really? We feel a certain amount of responsibility for your family, and, when we, and we want to make certain that you're all taken care of. Not that much care, Elliot said. They died. You didn't all die. What? Kataki Eleazon was sharp and sh smart and beautiful. The extra years she had over Elliot had clearly been spent becoming an alpha predator and a witty dinner party guest. Her smile was open and honest because she had nothing to fear and nothing to hide. But her teeth were still sharp and her eyes could still see in the dark. We feel guilty, Miss Rent, and we would like to offer to pay for the rest of your life. To be continued.